If you would please join me in opening your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We'll read our text for us, beginning in verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us instruction as how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. One of the most influential books that I have ever read, which has impacted my commitment to and understanding of the necessity of holiness in my Christian life, is the book entitled Holiness by J.C. Ryle. I'm certain many of you in this room have been impacted by this book in the same way. And I would commend to you, if you haven't read the book Holiness, please pick up a copy and uh, begin reading it. It is, a, it is a wonderful, wonderful book. In that book, Ryle gives a compelling definition of spiritual growth that I want you to hear, which will guide us into our study this evening. He writes this, he says, when I speak of a man growing in grace, I mean simply this, that his sense of sin is becoming deeper, his faith stronger, his hope brighter, his love more extensive, his spiritual mindedness more marked. He feels more of the power of godliness in his own heart. He manifests more of it in his life. He is going on from strength to strength, from faith to faith, and from grace to grace. As believers, growing in our love, faith, knowledge, and obedience to Christ is vitally important. This is to be the pursuit of our lives upon this earth as we await for the return of our Savior and the glorious perfection that will accompany His return. Paul makes it clear that though this young church was a model church, that they were not to remain basking in their youth. In the passage that is before us this evening, Paul goes from calling on the Lord to work, which we studied last time in his petition in chapter 3, verse 11 through 13, which I would say is absolutely necessary and, and must take precedence, to calling these believers to active obedience. They need to work out their salvation, their sanctification, as Paul tells the Philippians to do, knowing that it is God who uses that active obedience in the lives of His saints to conform them by His Spirit to the image of Christ. And friends, we need to do the same. Paul pleads with this young church to commit themselves to continuing to grow spiritually. And I would say that he pleads with us here tonight to do the very same thing. And certainly this is fitting, isn't it, as we embark upon a new year that is, that is before us? Ahead of every other resolution that we have made must be this resolute commitment to pursue holiness in a greater and more fervent way. In this text that is before us tonight, I want you to note three truths regarding spiritual growth that beckon our lingering affections for the world 
to become deeper affections for Christ. Three truths regarding spiritual growth that beckon our lingering affections for this world to become deeper affections for Christ. You and I both know that we have lingering affections for the world, don't we? As we reside in this flesh, we deal day in and day out with those things of the world that that lure us away from Christ. We are called. We are called to continue to fight that lure, to, to fight against the temptation that the world brings, that our flesh presents to us. And we are called to become more and more affectionate toward Christ. And before examining these truths, I want you to first look down at the end of verse 1 where we see how Paul calls for continual spiritual growth in the lives of believers. He says there at the end of verse 1, Excel still more. Excel still more. The three truths that beckon greater affection for Christ are centered around this plea to excel still more in one's spiritual growth. To excel still more is to abound. It is to overflow. It is to exist in, in full quantity in your resolve towards spiritual progress. The bottom line to excelling still more is an overwhelming pursuit to know the God of the Word for the sake of loving Him and serving Him and obeying Him. Therefore, every spiritual activity that you seek to progress in must be to that end. Loving and serving God in a greater way. This Thessalonian church was to excel still more in their spiritual growth. You and I are to excel still more in our spiritual growth. With that in mind, let's look at these three truths centered on this exhortation. The first truth regarding spiritual growth that we see here at the beginning of verse 1 is this. It is spiritual growth must be properly prioritized. Spiritual growth must be properly prioritized. And before emphasizing the the priority of spiritual growth, Paul begins this final segment of his letter in typical concluding fashion. He says, finally, brethren. Finally, brethren. He is giving these closing instructions to his dear brothers and sisters in the faith, to believers. Paul is not exhorting unbelievers in this text to grow spiritually because they can't. Romans 8 tells us plainly that unbelievers cannot please God. That word cannot speaks to their inability to please God, which is due to the fact that they are dead in their trespasses and in their sins. And if you are here tonight and you are not in Christ, that is to say that you have never surrendered your life to Christ as Savior and Lord, then you must understand that you cannot please God. All of your quote-unquote righteous works that you do, Isaiah tells us, are as filthy rags before holy God of the universe. Paul is not addressing you 
in our text. He is addressing only those who belong to Christ. Why? Because they are the only ones who have the capacity to grow spiritually. They are the only ones who have had their dead hearts quickened, made alive in Christ. They are the only ones who have the Holy Spirit residing in them. And so at the outset, my plea is to you tonight, if you are not in Christ, to embrace Christ as Lord. And, and be transferred from being in the darkness and deadness of your sin to new life and light in Christ through the gospel of Christ. But for those of you who are here, who is most of you certainly, who are in Christ, I want you to notice several distinguishing marks in the first part of verse 1 that signify that spiritual growth is being properly prioritized. The first mark is this. It is, a, it is a constant sense of urgency. You see that in Paul's plea. He says, finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you. We request and exhort you. What he is about to say to them is an urgent, ongoing request. It is kind and gentle, but it is urgent. And it is for the purpose of spiritual growth. Why is a constant sense of urgency what Paul leads with, and why is it a mark of of properly prioritizing spiritual growth? Well, it's because of this. It's because it, it signifies that a believer is continually living with the recognition that he or she hasn't arrived yet. That they haven't arrived yet spiritually, that they haven't made it to the end. This is critical. A believer who who begins to think that he has fully matured spiritually is in danger of actually beginning to deteriorate spiritually. The the New Testament writers knew nothing of of plateauing spiritually. They never commended believers who were were remaining spiritually stagnant. In fact, their definition of, of remaining steady in one's spiritual life was always connected with with moving forward. Always gaining ground spiritually. Turn with me to Philippians 3 for just a moment, where Paul states this truth uh, very clearly. In verses 4 through 11 of Philippians chapter 3, Paul contrasts his his old life of, of seeking righteousness by works with his new life of, of receiving the righteousness of Christ by faith. Notice then in verse 12, as he says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Jesus, by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal For the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You see, though Paul's life was was now marked by a deep love for Christ, not a a trying to gain righteousness through his righteous works, but but now it is marked by a deep love for Christ. As you see there in verses 7 through 10, as as he desires to know Christ, he counts everything before in his life as, as rubbish that he may gain Christ. That though that is the case, uh, a deep, sincere love for Christ 
he was not at all content to remain in that state. You see in both, both verses 12 and 14, he says, I press on. He's not content with the past. He's he's not content with the present. But he is striving ahead for the future life that is to come when he receives the reward of that upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what drove the Apostle Paul. That's what motivated the Apostle Paul. He wanted to continue to excel in his spiritual growth day in and day out until that moment when he saw his glorious Savior face to face. This is why Paul's plea with the Thessalonian church and with us here tonight is so urgent. We haven't arrived. And we should never consider ourselves as as having arrived on this earth until we are looking Jesus in the eye face to face. Until 1 John 3, 2 becomes the reality. Right When, When we see him, when we behold him, This is a priority for Paul, this urgency. But not only is an urgency to grow a mark of of prioritizing spiritual growth, a second mark that we see here in verse 1 is this, it is a consistent attitude of submission. A consistent attitude of submission. Notice who Paul attaches this urgent request to. There, back in our text, he says, We request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus. That is to say, that I request and exhort you on behalf of Christ, with the authority of Christ. If you are going to prioritize spiritual growth, you must see here that Christ's supreme authority demands our submission. To his commands. Paul is not asserting his own uh, authority here, but rather he is, he is pleading on behalf of the authority of Christ. He is exhorting this, this young church to, to continue to, to pursue holiness by the highest authority that there is. The King of the universe, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, demands. That we live in submission to his will and his way. You see, if you want to stall your growth as a Christian, cultivate a stubborn and rebellious heart toward the commands of Christ. Become resistant to, to the faithful meddling of the Holy Spirit which he accomplishes through his word. Become stagnant in in your desire to hear from Christ and obey what what he clearly lays out for you in his word. Those things are a recipe to turn into a useless, stale, spiritual swamp as a Christian. Instead, prioritize growth by cultivating an attitude of, of submission to the truth by, by being in the truth and by being under the truth. Commit to pursue obedience to the truth regardless of the cost. A consistent attitude of submission is a mark of one who is prioritizing spiritual growth. There's a third mark that signifies spiritual growth as a priority, and we, we see that 
And it is this, it is a consistent desire to learn. Look at how Paul continues on there in verse 1. He says that as you have received from us instruction as how to as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk. I want you to first notice the tone of those words. As Paul reiterates to, to these dear people in the faith that, that their growth is demonstrated by their receiving instruction and o- obeying that instruction. Remember, we've already seen in this book that, that Timothy had reported a very encouraging report to Paul concerning the state of this church, that they were living out their faith, that they were laboring in love, that they were steadfast in hope. They were an obedient church. And Paul recognized that, showing us his plea, which immediately follows, is an encouragement and not a rebuke. As Paul tells this church to excel still more, The tone here is not a rebuke. It is encouragement to to continue to excel, to continue to grow, to, to keep going. Paul is saying, you are a church who who loves Christ and who seeks to please Christ. You are fighting the good fight of faith. And so I, I plead with you: excel still more in that fight. That's that's the tone that Paul has in these words. They had been instructed regarding how they were to be living out their Christian lives, and they were learning and they were growing. He says, keep going, keep fighting, keep pursuing Christ-likeness. Because of that, Paul is going to continue to give them instruction Specifically in this context regarding sexual purity and and the reality of end times. But the Thessalonians were demonstrating that they were were prioritizing their spiritual growth because they they were consistently desiring to grow in their faith. They they were young. They were a lot of new believers. They were just learning what the church is to be like and how the church is to function. They were They were new in their understanding of these things. But you can tell, you can't can't read the book of 1 Thessalonians and say they weren't consistently desiring to learn, to grow. They most definitely were. They were marked by that. What about you? What about you? Do you have a continuing desire to grow in your knowledge of God and in your obedience to the truth? Or are you content with where you are in your life? Do you think that you have arrived, as, as we said earlier? Do you feel like you've, you've gotten to that place? You've gotten to that point? You've, you've been to that year of Bible college and now you're ready to go? Are you challenging yourself to grow in your knowledge of the Scriptures And continually striving to grow in your study habits? Are you regularly reading theological books to to stimulate your your meditation and your growth? As you embark upon this new year and you think through 
What do I want this year to, to look like? Whether you call them resolutions or not, as you think through what do I want this year to look like, is this at the top of your list? I want to continue to grow in my knowledge of God and my love for God, and I want to lay out a path that's going to help me do that in an, in an ever-increasing way. Have you started to develop that, that book list of the things you want to read, of those subjects you want to focus on? See, a consistent desire to learn is a clear mark that spiritual growth is the right kind of priority in your life. If that desire is not there, then I, I plead with you to, to examine that. Is spiritual growth really a, a desire of your heart? Do you want to continue to grow in love for God and love for His people and obedience to His truth? Not only must spiritual growth be properly prioritized in order for your lingering worldly affections for the world to become deeper affections for Christ, but a second truth that we find in our text regarding spiritual growth is this. And spiritual growth must be clearly perceived. Spiritual growth must be clearly perceived. Many believers get confused about what spiritual growth actually is. And so it must be clearly understood as to what it is and what it is not. A few words in the middle of the phrase that we just looked at gives us insight as to what spiritual growth truly is. Look at it there again. He says that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God. Did you see it? How you ought to walk and please God. Spiritual growth is living with the desire and the discipline to please God. It involves both heart and action. Pleasing God is to be the aim of our lives, believers. This is to be who we are about. We are about pleasing God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 5 that as long as he is in this earthly tent, referring to his body, he makes it his aim, his goal, his ambition to please God. In order to please God, our hearts must be in tune to what pleases him, which is, which is laid out in his word, and then our obedience to that must follow. Friends, God wants our hearts to be his. He wants our affections to be for him. He wants our, our motivation to be making his heart glad. He wants the genuine desire of our inner man to be worship and praise and adoration for him. He is not looking for a rote, heartless obedience. He is looking for an obedience from the heart. But that heartfelt desire then must also be accompanied with the discipline to bring him pleasure by obeying him. There must be a compulsion of the will 
to obey, which is driven by an ever-increasing love for Christ. This is why Paul uses this verb of compulsion right here, ought. He says as to how you ought to walk and please God. Growing spiritually means that a person is, is compelled to conform their will to God's will. To what pleases God. And what compels believers is the vast love of Christ who, who died for us, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. He says, for the love of Christ compels us. Compels us to what? To live for the one who died for us. And so it is this immense, vast, overwhelming love of God that motivates this heartfelt obedience to him. Desire and discipline are both necessary components for spiritual growth to be taking place. This begs the question, what then are false understandings of of spiritual growth? What are those things that people often associate with spiritual growth, but are not in and of themselves true indicators? We could consider these things as, as just going through the motions. What's that look like? Well, These can be things like church attendance, coming, making sure you're here every week, sitting in that same chair as we're all creatures of habit and we love those same chairs, singing those songs, giving as you walk out these doors, going to your Sunday school class, never really engaging with Anything that's going on in terms of worshiping Christ, never engaging with fellow believers. I mean, things like church service, finding a place to serve in the church for motivations that are not connected with a love for Christ. Maybe it's a desire to be seen in some way. Maybe you get fulfillment out of, out of using your ability to do something, but, it, but it's disconnected from a true, genuine love for Christ. Perhaps it's the the Bible reading checkoff list, right, that that everybody just started a week ago. Or any other spiritual checkoff list. I'm just going through the motions. I'm walking through these things. It can be things like emotional highs and feelings. We just came back from a retreat. (laughs) I mean, that, that, that kind of situation kind of festers that that kind of thing you have to control those things we are to go through highs and lows and all of those different things we have we're emotional beings but but are we using that as our spiritual indicator that we're growing man i really feel like i love christ today i am i am moving here that you walk out the door and you just live in disobedience to him the rest of the day you can't do that all of these things have their place don't Don't misunderstand me. And all of these things should be a consistent part of a believer's life. You should be in church every week. You should be serving in the church. You should be reading your Bibles. 
You should be engaging your hearts emotionally when you worship and as you obey and walk with Christ in this life. Those things should happen. But participating in any one of these things does not mean that you are growing spiritually. You can come to church. You can be involved in church. You can read your Bible every day. But fail to be engaged from your heart and compelled to obey the one who died for you. And that is simply going through the motions. And it is not pleasing to God. That is not what Paul is saying here. That is not what he is exhorting this church to do. When we think about spiritual growth, we must Think about it in terms of desire and discipline. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you are growing spiritually if you are not growing in your love for Christ and then doing what pleases Him. If our lingering affections for the world are going to be transformed into deeper affections for Christ, then spiritual growth must be rightly understood. It must be clearly understood as to what it is and what it is not. And we can fall into those traps on a regular basis. We want to be careful about that. Paul says that we need to be concerned about how we walk and please God. Our hearts are to be engaged in our in love for Christ. And we know that that is true because it's connected with the obedience that follows. Those things aren't to be disconnected. That brings us to then a final truth regarding spiritual growth that I want you to embrace from this text, and that is this, that that spiritual growth must be diligently pursued. Spiritual growth must be diligently pursued. And we see that at the end of verse 1 and verse 2. You see, this brings us to the phrase that These truths are are centered around, which I explained at the outset. These instructions that have been received must be diligently adhered to. These believers were to abound. They were to overflow. They were to excel still more in their resolve toward spiritual progress. And notice the exclamation point that calls believers to diligently pursue spiritual growth down in verse 2. As there he, he reminds them again, as he has time and time again, to remember what they have learned and apply it. For you know what commandments we gave to you. You know, believer. You've been told over and over and over again. What you are to do, what you ought to do, what a life pleasing to God looks like. Excel still more. Take action. He says, take the knowledge that you have been given and continually pursue ways to be doers of that instruction in your daily lives. Listen, this is in no way passive. This is the farthest thing in the world from the aberrant theology that says, let go and let God. They were to think through the specific ways to make strides in their growing and their love for Christ and obedience to his word. 
They were to evaluate the the sin struggles they had and the temptations that that gave them the greatest problems. They were to examine the the priorities of their lives and and see if they lined up with with God's priorities that he dictates in his word. They were to to strategize how how they were going to apply this instruction and then, then put this strategy into motion. They were to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. And in the verses that follow, Paul unveils some specific areas in which they needed to grow. Specific areas in which they they needed to to excel still more. In verses 3 through 8, they are going to be exhorted to excel still more in their resolve to be sexually pure. And Jonathan's going to unpack this in the coming weeks and challenge our hearts with these truths. And then in verses 9 through 12, these believers will be exhorted to excel still more in in issues related to social propriety. How they are to operate within church and the world. As we consider Paul's call to to the Thessalonians to, to diligently pursue spiritual growth, you and I must see our call to this as well. Friends, we are not called to live passive lives as Christians. We are not called to be content with our current spiritual progress. Yes, we are called to contentment. But we are not called to be content with where we are spiritually as to say, I have arrived. We are called to understand what true growth is. And evaluate the areas of our lives that need attention. And resolve to do what needs to be done to address those areas. So what does that look like, generally speaking? Yeah, Paul's going to address specific areas with these believers. And he'll address us with these things as well. But but this principle expands farther than beyond sexual purity and social propriety. So what does this look like? What does it look like to continue to to grow, to excel still more as a Christian? Well, well, first of all, it looks like cultivating your love for Christ daily. You've got to to cultivate your love for Christ daily. If you plant something and you don't cultivate that with, with water and allow it to have sun, it's not brought to its proper form through those means, then then you're not going to have what you intended to grow. We have to do that daily. We have to pursue knowing Christ daily. We have to pursue worshiping Christ daily. We have to pursue serving Christ daily. This has to be our resolve. That we will commit ourselves to doing that. This also involves cultivating your love for Christ's people. What a great opportunity again. Here's this new year that is before us. We can look around and look at opportunities. We begin to to genuinely demonstrate love for the people of God. You all do such a wonderful job of that. and, And we're grateful for that. And that's one of the primary reasons our church is what it is. Is because... Because y'all love each other. 
But how do we do that more? How do we grow in that? Are we, are we seeking to do that? Are we seeking ways to continue to encourage one another, to edify one another? We have to continue to cultivate a love for Christ's people, and that means being with Christ's people. So you can't judge your spiritual growth by the fact that you sit in church every week, but if you don't sit in church every week, you're not going to be able to cultivate your spiritual growth. Right, this, is, this is the place where God intends love for his people to occur. This is the place where one another's happen. This is the place where we fulfill Christ's commands in, in those ways. So, so cultivate your love for Christ's people. Excel still more in that. Third, cultivate your, your love for Christ's word. Cultivate your love for Christ's word. Pursue knowing his word. Continue to grow in your knowledge. Challenge yourself to to memorize it, to meditate upon it, to to understand it, to go back through the sermons and the lessons that you hear and, and truly grasp what is being taught from those scriptures. Pursue understanding his word. Pursue then obeying his word. As those things come to light, as you begin to to have your heart and your eyes enlightened to the truth on a regular basis, you you resolve to obey. These things are simple, right? These are the things that we've been told over and over and over, but these are the things that God has said we must do if we're going to grow. Fourth, cultivate your hatred for sin. Cultivate your hatred for sin. What does that look like? Well, it begins with seeing and understanding sin as God sees and understands sin. If we don't look at sin the same way God looks at sin, then we're not going to cultivate the kind of hatred for sin that God has for sin. And so we have to understand how God feels about sin. And so we read through the Old Testament. We we get this great, vast picture of the holiness of God and what happened to people who offended His holiness. We go to Leviticus chapter 10 and we see the priests who offered strange fire. And God says, nope. And crushes them to dust. We see how God feels about sin. And then we go to the New Testament and we see The ultimate picture of God's hatred for sin, don't we? In the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. As Isaiah 53 says that that he crushed his son for our sin. That that's how much he hates sin. That's how anti-sin God is. That he crushed his only begotten, his unique one-of-a-kind son. So that sin could be dealt with. We have to cultivate that kind of hatred for sin. And it can't just be for the big sins. We all hate the big sins. We have to hate the little sins. The little sins that that creep up day in and day out. When we're we're not keeping track, when we're not keeping our hearts, as Proverbs 4 says. We have to see that and we have to go to Colossians 3 and say, what does it say? It says to, to put that off, to put to death daily those sins that remain. Because we've cultivated that kind of hatred for sin. 
We cultivate a hatred for sin by contemplating the, the consequences and the ramifications for sin. And we have the, we have the consequences that, that take place in our daily lives, the natural consequences to our actions. You know, if you get plastered on a Friday night and you, you go out and you drive your car into a telephone pole and put yourself into a body cast and then into a wheelchair for the rest of your life, that's a natural consequence of your actions. But that is a minuscule consequence to what sin actually brings. To, to the separation from God for, for all of eternity. Because we have failed to to love him as we ought to love him, to serve him as we ought to serve him, to come to him on his terms through Christ. We have to contemplate the consequences and the ramifications for sin. Sin costs. There's no sin that doesn't cost. There's no sin that doesn't have consequences. There's no sin that doesn't have ramifications. We cultivate our hatred for sin by doing that and We also cultivate our hatred for sin by meditating on the solution for sin and what it cost in the person of Christ. As Christ, as Peter says, that Christ bore in his body our sin and paid the penalty for that sin upon the cross, that we meditate on that truth. And we can can cultivate a hatred for sin by, by seeing sin as God hates sin, but we can also cultivate a hatred for sin by looking at the beauty of Christ, the glory of Christ. The more we dwell upon him, the more we hate all of that sin in our lives. Not just the big sins, but the little sins. The little sins of complacency and compromise. We cultivate that that hatred for for sin by looking at the person of Christ, by seeing that it cost him his, his life. We also grow in fifth by cultivating strategy for faithful obedience to Christ. Right, we, have to, we have to plan this out. What's, what's it look like? What are those things that, that I need to work on? What are those, those greatest weaknesses in my life? How, how am I going to get there? How am I going to grow? How am I going to make progress and, and strides? And How am I going to continually be conformed to the image of Christ? Because Christ is clear that he will use his spirit to sanctify us. It will happen for all of those who are in Christ, but he also uses the means of the active obedience of his saints to accomplish those things. And so what's the plan? Are you going to have that Bible checkoff list, which is a good thing? Are you going to make sure that you're here and that you're loving God's people? Are you going to do those things? Are, are you going to, to take inventory of your life and say, well, where are my greatest struggles? God, help me to be honest with myself. What, what are those deep-rooted sins that I, I just want to push away and I don't want to deal with? Are you going to do that? Because you have to cultivate a, fa- a strategy for faithful obedience to Christ. You have to continually go back, as Paul said in, in chapter in verse 2, to, to know, to remember what commandments you have been given. We forget so easily, don't we? If we are going to see our lingering affections for this world lessen, and our affections for Christ deepen, 
And we must properly prioritize spiritual growth. We must clearly perceive spiritual growth. And we must diligently pursue spiritual growth. We'll close our time tonight with these compelling words from Charles Spurgeon, which hasten us to this this resolve of spiritual growth. Of course, said in the way that only Spurgeon would say it. He wrote this, he said, the, the Christian life is very much like climbing a hill of ice. You cannot slide up. You have to cut every step with an ice axe. Only with incessant labor in cutting and chipping can you make any progress. If you want to know how to backslide, leave off going forward. Cease going upward and you will go downward of necessity. You can never stand still. Friends, may we heed the words, the exhortation of the Apostle Paul to excel still more and may God grant us his grace to excel still more in our pursuit of holiness in this life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for for the truth that that is here. The plea of the apostle on behalf of this church certainly as this is your word that stands forever. It is the plea to us as well. Father, I pray that you will help us to take our spiritual growth seriously. Help us to understand that it is vitally important. And help us to obey this this call to excel still more in our love for you and our service to you and our obedience to you. Because we long for that day when we see Christ face to face. We want to hear those words, well done and faithful servant, and we want to get to that point after we have strived and strived and strived that we can cease striving because we will be perfected. Find us faithful as we remain on this earth, Lord, help us to continue to grow. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.